Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome again to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark, hopefully. We'll soon yep. find out. I'm it is the vetgurus, vetgurus.com. Send an email to us. Say hello, vetgurus at gmail.com. And I'm always very disappointed, Mark, by the lack of emails from all our hundreds and hundreds of listeners. That's um, very forthright of you, Brendan. Very um, forthright. I'm a little bit, I used to be a little bit angry um, at times with the podcast. Um, so... Because I, we haven't got one for a couple of weeks, and it would be good to hear from our listeners. What are you up to? What are you doing? Where do you live? What species do you treat? Vetgurus at gmail.com. Say hello. And we'll say hello back, Mark. So there you go. I'm feeling zen again. I'm feeling calm now. I've got that out of my system. How are you? Wonderful, Brendan. Just wonderful. We've got a gentle breeze here. And um, and that's keeping the flies at pay, as I mentioned off air. And, uh, <laughs> and as I said, awesome. no flies on me, Mark. So tell me about, tell our listeners, Mark, give us a bit of an insight into your life mecha- mechanics of the way you structure the teardown and put up of your fancy little modified land cruiser. Well, as many of our listeners would be, many of our regular listeners would be aware, uh, Kate and I have been travelling around Australia on the on on the road in the Land Cruiser with a slide-on camper on the back, and um and I did think I just you know our, we have slipped into a bit of a routine, a daily routine. We often uh, camp in a place that's a little bit remote, so I tend to get up pretty early trying to get that first golden hour light on a location I think there might be some birds or maybe even some mammals or reptiles to get the camera out um, and then by the time we've we've shed the golden hour um, we uh, we tend to fire up the billy and have a cup of coffee um, and then we we pack up and the beauty of the camper Brenton the wonderful thing about the camper is the ease with which we can um, establish and disestablish our campsite. It, it literally just takes um, about oh, between six and 12 minutes for us to pack away, um, and then we're on the road. And it literally is as simple as popping the table back in its slide-away location um, and pulling the top down and folding, uh, putting the locking clips in place and off we drive. Um, so it's been a wonderful way to get around the countryside um, to establish a pretty comfortable little camp quickly. And um, and the reverse is true in the afternoon. We, we find a lovely spot. Um, we often find a shady spot by the water. At the moment in Western Queensland, there's a fair bit of surface water. Um, so a bit of a water view is always nice, and um, and yeah, we toss up the, uh, we pop the top, lower the ladder, open the kitchen, pop out the chairs, um, and sit down with a cold brew or a glass of wine, and and wait till sunset when the fly activity settles down, and and 
Kate cooks up a bit of a storm. We had a wonderful stir fry last night. Crunchy veggies and uh, and a little bit of tofu. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful life, Brendan. Living the dream, Mark. Living the dream. So you mentioned about you potentially have a quick getaway. So you've been lucky so far, I think, as far as you haven't had any incidents where you've thought, gee, I've got to get it the hell out of um, Texas yeah, <laughs> or no, Queensland. No, it's, or, uh, <laughs> it's true. Been, we've, we've, we've had um, uh, one of the things that uh, I have um, found uh, – well, not surprising, but um, is that in all our travels, we've had um, you know, no evidence of confrontation and quite the opposite. Um, people are, are keen to share their experiences and, um, and uh, there's a sense of collegiality amongst the traveling fraternity. Um, so it's all been really positive. But I did mention to you that we did have one spot um, a few nights ago where um, we probably got a little bit too close to a town um, and um, and yeah some people were were uh, um, in the very early hours of the morning four o'clock or something were driving around in um, maybe a surreptitious manner I sincerely believe their behavior wasn't even associated with us we'd just parked in a spot that People like to skulk away to do, you know, take advantage of a bit of um, of uh, removal from sub- the suburbs or towns. Um, and I don't even think they knew we were there, but it did make us feel uneasy. Um, the manner in which the vehicle was travelling near to us, and so we um, we did just... So they uh, make doing donuts, were they? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, quite the opposite. They were switching lights off and and, and driving very quietly um, nearby, oh. which, yeah, which the donuts would have been entertaining. But, uh, yeah, so... It, but that's the beauty of the camper for us, that, um, that it's relatively, you know, we've got it all packed and set to go and so it's just toss the chairs in the back and and uh, move on to a place that we feel safer it's interesting to listen to other travelers too brendan they there is a, a cohort of travelers who have a real um i don't know spiritual attitude to the places they stop and and uh, they often talk about stopping at a place that has i don't know bad vibes ghosts uh some sort of bad negative feel to it, yeah. um, and uh, and so they'll move on. And yeah, but um, by and large, we've been uh, very generously um, afforded an absence of those sensations just till recently. So yeah, it's a good it's a good way to see the world. And almost well, like most things in the world, almost all the people in it are, are well intentioned and and have only um, good good uh, uh, information or they just want to share positivity with you like being on the podcast with you brendan almost apart from when you're doing donuts and <laughs> making that making a, a racket market so very interesting insight into your current travels mark thank you very much um from the bottom of my heart it may have sounded insincere there but um i, I was um Getting quite jealous when you were mentioning um, your the way you could pack up and set up your little little. It's more than a tent. Your little um, 
your little home away it from is a home. home. Yes. It is a home. Okay, I'm going to jump into. I don't have a review this week, Mark. Um, so I'm going to jump into. Or you are going to jump into. You've got a really fascinating news story about dolphins, haven't you? Oh yes, um, Jason Bruck reports about dolphins. Um, that um, he's he's in uh, Austin. Stephen F. Austin State University in Texas, um, and he's a dolphin researcher. Um, and he, some of the things he noticed about dolphins um, made him think. Some of the behaviours um, made him think. Uh, he just noticed that they were swimming through, well, for want of a better term, urine plumes, um, and his perception was that they were doing this more frequently than you know, random swimming through the ocean would suggest. And so he formulated the hypothesis. I always love it when someone formulates a hypothesis that they were gathering information from these, um, purposely gathering information from these plumes of urine. Um, And so in captive experiments, uh, he was able to establish that uh, dolphins paid more attention to the urine and whistles and clicks of their friends, um, uh, suggesting that they knew the animals that had issued either the noises or the urine. Um, so that's uh, pretty cool. And um, and uh, he suggested, Bruck suggested, that uh, these findings are the first robust evidence of an animal identifying other members of its species using taste. Um, and, and in reading through this report, I don't, I think there's a bit of an assumption that, like, I don't know whether they could smell. I don't know whether dolphin dolphins. I don't know whether they can tell by altered specific gravity because of their very sensitive um, uh, echolocation. I don't know, but certainly taste was the sense. Um, yeah, they've they've lost the sense of smell. That's right. Um, so it has to be taste or some other sense, but they've rested on taste as the most likely candidates. Um, so yeah, that's that's a, a, a very interesting thought process that, um, like dogs, might smell the urine of uh, other animals to of their species to learn about them. Um, that dolphins um, will taste the dilute urine in seawater of their friends. Um, and the other interesting thing about the process was that um, if the urine came from unfamiliar sources, none of their friends, for example, they paid very little attention to it. Um, but if there was, um, if it was from one of their mates, they would spend a whole lot of extra time sussing it out. So it makes you wonder, first of all, what agent in the urine they're sensing, they're smelling, tasting, I mean, um, and and what information they're gleaning from it. Um, Crikey's a very, very interesting area of research. And, um, and one area of research that has a little bit of pressure of time on it because the, one of the candidates... Uh, for the chemical communicator which is being detected is um, one of the lipids that ends up in the urine Um, and specific sensors on the taste buds might you know have been incriminated in um, in uh, 
sensing those lipids. And of course, it makes it difficult to know what human-made pollution, the presence of plastics and other lipids in the ocean, might make on um, you know the communication of dolphins and what what effect that might have on their social structure and and uh, and in fact survivability. So yeah, very interesting article, Brendan. That's a lot of talk about urine there, Mark. And um, I could uh, I I thought of a few things to say about <laughs> tasting urine of your friends, etc. But I'm not going to go there at all, Mark. Um, Probably yes. a wise choice, Brendan. Yes, I'm not going to go there at all. But interesting article, nevertheless, and we'll have a link to it at our website, vetgurus.com. Well, my one's a one that you have covered multiple times, but it's another summary of a bit of a depressing um, article, uh, a depressing subject, Mark, the plastic in the oceans and plastic stuffed seabirds um this one's particular one relating to our region there mark where um a very long-term study mark every year for the past 15 years a group of scientists and researchers have traveled to lord howe island um, which is northeast of sydney here and southeast of brisbane um, off the coast of australia in april to may to survey the health of shearwaters and discovering how much plastic they have eaten so it's one of the longest running plastic ingestion monitoring programs in the world so um, they've got lots of information there mark and this year they tagged and released about 40 live shear waters um, and what they found in the dead bird was uh, not unsurprisingly um what they regarded as shocking, and I would too. A hundred dead birds they dissected, only four hadn't swallowed any plastic, and one bird had ingested more than 200 piece, pieces, which is still not a record. And uh, another bird, which in the article they mentioned, had eaten 125 pieces, and they were sharp fragments, and they weighed about 8% of the birds body mass um, and interestingly enough Mark and you probably already knew this um, that the adult shear waters they fly over the sea and they skim the plastic off the ocean surface to bring back to the chicks in their burrows and they feed the chicks via regurgitation thinking they're bringing them squid etc but they feed in them the, the plastic there and one of the thoughts is that um, you know, why they eat in large amounts of plastic, some species of birds and, and others not. And one of the theories, Mark, and I know you like a theory, um, the current theory is that over time a lot of these plastics develop an algae-rich biofilm on the surface that releases the same chemical that's released by schooling fish and that's why they end up picking up these plastic bits of plastic marks thinking that they're they're doing the right thing and picking up um, feeds for them and their family um, but yeah and as as usual some pretty um, dramatic photos in in the article mark um, with, with lots of different um, bits of plastic um, and you know these are only all the macro plastics aren't they um, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to think about all the microplastic that we physically can't um, see with our naked eye that they're also um, ingesting as well so you know what's your insight on this mark how do we are we ever going to stop this uh, i think we i think there's a, a growing 
um, movement, a growing understanding of the significance of plastics in the environment. Um, and I do expect that there will come a time where um, large, you know, single-use plastics may well be um, banned completely and only multiple-use plastics are um, with a chartered disposal um, uh, future um, are ever used. Um, but what worries me is that um, even if we're able to do that, um, even if we're as positive as to think such a thing would be possible, the amount of plastic that's already in the oceans, um, I don't know that we'll ever, ever clear the, the oceans of those things. Um, hate to be a downer about it. The other point I'd make is that um, where that is Mickey Perkins was the author of um, this article, um, an age reporter um, who I met while I was down in um, in uh, Melaleuca with the Orange Bellied Parrot program. And, and I love the uh, environmental reporting that Mickey does. And, um, and it's no surprise that she brings such an urgent um, well, it's such a serious issue. Urgent probably is the wrong adjective. It's no, no longer urgent. It's um, it's um, it's urgent that we do something about it, Brendan. I mean, the positive is that people do ch can change and do change their habits. Uh, when you think about things like going to the supermarket and the days of just not bothering to take a bag into the supermarket and these days even with those reusable plastic um, bags that everybody walks in now with their bags that they're reusing again and again rather than grabbing a new new plastic bag and you, you think about five years ago that you know you'd be people would be looking at you crazy if you're bringing your own you know shopping bags into into a, a shopping center to collect your groceries etc so we can change our ways, Mark, but I think things like this, yeah, it needs to, it needs regulation, doesn't it? People need to be saying, no, you're not allowed to do that anymore and and, and um, drastically reduce the actual um, access to them that you physically can't purchase, you know, a lot of these once-off plastic products and that we try and transition to other, like the transition from plastic straws, Mark, uh, you know, to... To, to paper straws etc or just don't use a straw at all <laughs> so yeah but these poor little birdies um yeah they're they're struggling aren't they they're shearwaters and uh, i'm sure there's certain species aren't there mark like the shearwaters that are, are going to be hit harder than others just because of the way they way they um forage for their food um and and the plastic that they inadvertently pick up so yeah. And I could it, see one of the pictures there, one of the one of the um, chunks of plastic there was a little looks like a stopper of a you know, like a, a lilo you know, a, a little blow up um um you know, um little um plastic sort of or, or rubber um um item that you put on the beach there, Mark. Um uh, so that it grabbed that whole thing. Yeah, so it's not a not a um positive story unfortunately and i think it's only going to get worse before hopefully people finally decide to but to it do is something. important those stories are out there because like you said change will only come about when people realize there's a problem and yeah it's good to see these stories in the mainstream media yep and with that we'll get into 
something hopefully a little bit more positive, Mark, but it's still relating to birds, and that's our main topic this week, which is me quizzing you, Mark, on environmental <laughs> enrichment for birds. And we've we've had a few episodes of environmental enrichment uh, of various species, including touching on birds at one stage, but I thought it would be good to have a, an actual little summary rundown on, on the current thoughts on, on things we can do to help birds make their lives a, a little bit more tolerable in captivity and um, at those pet birds and keeping their little bird brains active mark and, and speaking of bird brains so you know that some of these birds are, are quite smart animals aren't they they are brendan and we we uh some time ago when we were in darwin we listened to uh behaviorists talk about the complexity of bird brains and and just even in terms of um the the activities they do the tasks they do Direct anatomy might suggest they're not quite as complex, but um, the, the 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 actual functions of the different parts of the bird brain are different, and and they get their intelligence not the same way we do. But there's no doubt that the old insult, a bird brain, um, meaning that you're a bit simple and not with thought, um, is not a not a fair call to be called bird brained. Um, really means that. Um, uh, you're a little bit different to everyone else, but complex and and uh, and clever in your thoughts, nonetheless. Sounds like you, Mark. So I can call you bird brain and feel proud of it um, from now on, can't I? That I'm, I it's a compliment. Do. It's a compliment. That's the way I take it. So I think the key one that point that I always am amazed at and um, pet owners really think about is the percentage time that wild birds will spend looking for food mark and then we contrast that with what happens with our pet birds commonly and we can see there's going to be a problem and do you want to chat about that first definitely we we do this little um i often do this in consult where i talk to people about the birds sort of standard day where they get up in the morning and uh, and they'll preen for a little while. They'll awake with the sun about 6.30, uh, preen for a little while, do some social stuff, fly down, have a drink of water. And then by sort of 7.38, uh, they forage. They start looking for food and they'll um, travel, fly vast distances to different locations and, uh, and search for different plants or habitats. Um, They'll do that for three or four hours and then they'll have a little break in the middle of the day, um, then resume in the afternoon until sort of five o'clock when they um, do a little bit more social activity. If they're cockatoos, they'll get in the trees and screech um, and then uh, roost for the night. And so across that day, that uh, 12, 11 or 12 hours, um, there's nine or ten hours that's spent foraging, um, which, you know, 70 to 80% of their day is uh, pulling things apart, flying to things, searching for food. Um, and when we lay that food in a bowl, in a cage, barely, um, uh, um, uh, you know, often well less than uh, 30 centimetres from the bird's beak, um, the bird can eat their fill um in 15, 20 minutes, um, and then they're left with the remainder of that uh, 
10-hour period, 9-hour period with nothing to do. Um, and is it any wonder when that happens, Brendan, that um, they develop some vices? They might uh, vocalise inappropriately. They might uh, um, damage their feathers. They might um, develop other stereotypies that are, are deleterious to their mental health. So, so I think um, forming some plan to occupy that time is a very, very important part of owning a bird. Bored birds, Mark. Yes, that has a big part to do with it. And I could imagine, oh, gee, you plonk that. And it relates to another problem that we commonly see, isn't it? Fat birds. Oh, of course. Um, if they're inactive, if they're not moving around, if they're not flying, um, then they're not burning calories. And uh, if they've got a nice level perch that's a, uh, a short distance away from their 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 food bowl... Um, then of course they're going to um, not move around much, and uh, and particularly some species, um, galahs are one that leap to mind, uh, have an extreme propensity for obesity as a consequence of these husbandry issues. In addition, Brendan, I I also point out to my clients who many of them have like a single bird, um, and many of these birds are very very social animals you know the the uh, our recent trip in the outback afforded me the opportunity to see uh, flocks of budgerigars where there were literally tens of thousands of birds um, and to take uh, once we bring those birds inside and make them pets that um, that social aspect of their life is gone as well and so not only are we decreasing their mental activity by taking away their foraging. We're also um, uh, lessening their social interactions. And that makes, to me, a marked increase in the responsibility to find things for them to do, Brendan. So what do we do, Mark? What's our advice? What's our practical advice to that client that comes in with the bird that looks bored? Well, I think the first thing to say is let's get rid of the food bowl. I think that um, laying on uh, a... Uh, um, uh, Brendan, I'm going to have to take a five-minute break and talk to you about food bowls immediately after. All right, I'll pause for a moment. Thanks for that. And we're back. Um, sorry about that. Um, live. Well, live and pause there for a little bit, Mark. And went, um, interesting that we were talking about your little campsite that you can decamp fairly quickly and I think that's what you just had to do to get some um, reception in a slightly different area and we're up and going again aren't we Mark? Yes. Very interesting. So they pick around the recycled newspaper. Do they ever ingest it? And I assume that you suggest that because if they do it, it doesn't cause an issue. <laughs> Excellent. And there is a, if you compare it with the old days, Mark, there's even a fair number of website and web stores and, and um, retail stores where you can purchase some excellent bird safe toys for environmental enrichment. And in the old days, there was, well, they didn't exist, did they? And um, any caveats regarding those sort of um, stores that promote those um, products, Mark? And 
um, those sort of wooden products, etc. I suppose are what most of them are like. Are the, are the ones that you prefer over, over others, the types of those those toys you can buy, purchase commercially? No happy hats. So what about other furniture, Mark, more specific sort of furniture um, rather than the toys? And you mentioned not using a happy hat. What other sort of constructions or products to help um, exercise their mind and keep them busy? Yes. Funnily enough, it's not dissimilar to what we recommend for our other species, our other groups of animals like our reptiles, etc., giving them plenty of options as far as perching and toys and, and lots of things to do. And keeping it simple, Mark, you've mentioned about um, some of the natural sort of products um, that we get here in Australia, and I'm sure there will be equivalent ones overseas for our overseas listeners as far as those um, cones etc that um, we can use as part of that process of of giving them something to forage for food um, with them um, because I, I I just get frustrated especially with the reptiles even though we're talking about birds today with some of the um, recommendations on the internet or from the pet shops about you know um, purchasing you know disinfected and, and sterilised, you know, logs um, and wooden items from the pet shop rather than just finding a good good log or, or a dead um, tree branch that's fallen and, and using that for a perch and a, and a plaything for the birds. Um, um, do, you, do you find that with the birds, Mark? Yep, I agree. Now, I think you need to briefly chat about one other aspect of environmental enrichment for birds, Mark, that's often neglected or forgotten i suppose is a better terminology for it and that's lighting mark yep i mean that one of the sorry i'll jump in one of the point one of the points i was um uh, wanting to get across and i know you would would um cover it but i'm going to jump in is the birds that are kept in inappropriate situations where they may be exposed to 24 7 light mark so you know they, they a, a classic would be a bird in an inappropriate small little cage in a in a lounge room or near a kitchen area and it has high traffic throughput um 24 7 especially in a share house or um rental sort of property with with several um several you know adults that are coming and going and working different shifts and that poor bird um that the, the humans love it because the people who are who are wandering around at whatever particular time of day get to say hello to the bird but the poor birds um doesn't have any downtime market doesn't have a day and a night cycle so i think that's that's critical that we we address that um so i think that's one thing you're going to chat about and the other thing that I think you are hinting towards is your thoughts on lighting as far as the spectrum of lighting, Mark. Do you want to chat a little bit about that? Yep, absolutely. Any, I know it's a quick overview and we I, I got you to rip through all the environmental enrichment for birds fairly quickly, but we did want it just as an overview for this podcast, Mark. Any sort of closing comments about this subject? Yep. And it's absolutely on the list of must things to talk to the client about, especially that new client with a bird mark. Um, diet, environmental enrichment, um, other aspects of husbandry, but it has to be very high up there as far as topics you need to have a good chat to the client about, Mark. Um, and I think with that, we're out of here, Mark. And apologies to our listeners who had that little interruption in the middle there, but um, we always like you to keep you on your toes and we'll talk to you all next week. 
Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.